I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 to 15. Page 5 in your booklet. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty whirled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave, a, gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness, earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. You might have noticed at Mary Creek that we don't pass around a plate like a lot of churches do um, for, for the offertory. It's called in church lingo, the money that you put in towards the, um, the ministry of the church. We don't do that here. And that's um, because um, we decided as um, a church leadership team three years ago that um, actually, we prefer people to give um, financially using electronic means, and if people really do want to um, um, give other ways, they can do so by putting it in the giving letterbox, which I see is not actually set up up the back there. We should set that up before the end of the service. <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, for years I, I noticed in churches that gave, um, where people gave by direct debit or direct deposit, the plate going around empty, and I thought that was kind of, you know, bit of a strange thing to just keep doing it because we always have as the church. But despite the fact that we don't pass the plate around doesn't mean that we don't think that money is not important in our church. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, that we don't want to talk about it or that we're embarrassed about it. And so each year um, there'll be, um, you know, at least once when I talk about giving and money in our, in our church and the preaching, and sometimes I might talk about it several times. And if the passage talks about it, then we talk about it in the sermon as well. So last year I think I had one devoted sermon to giving and then there was about three or four other times when it came up in the passage. It's important for Christians to talk about money because Jesus actually talked about it so much. Um, he, it was one of the, his pop, most popular topics, or well, not popular, but the most common topics that he, get, that he committed to. Um, and it's important for him because he, he saw it as uh, an indicator of where our heart was at. 
You know, you, you might say that you love Jesus with everything that you have. Well, is that, is that evident in your bank details? <laughs> is that evident in the way you spend your money? So that's why we're going to talk about it. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 because it's a, one of the best passages in the whole Bible that, that kind of helps us to understand Christian discipleship and our finances, especially giving. This passage um, from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, um, it comes in the context of the whole letter of 2 Corinthians, which Paul wrote in about 56 AD. And um, there are characters in this letter, uh, like Paul himself, Timothy and Titus. Titus comes up in this passage. And um, he wrote the letter to the church in Corinth to defend his own leadership as an apostle and um, to defend it against false teachers. There were the people coming into the church teaching heresies. Um, and in these two chapters, 8 and 9, he urges this church in Corinth to be generous in their giving towards um, the churches uh, that are poor, especially, especially a church down near Jerusalem in Judea that are suffering and poor. Um, and so I'll talk a bit more about that in a second. And the main focus of, of these first 15 verses that we're going to talk about today is that Christians should demonstrate our love for Jesus by giving sacrificially. That's the main point of today's sermon. Christians should demonstrate our love for Jesus by giving financially, sacrificially. Now, Paul the Apostle is an interesting bloke when you, when, you think it, when, when you look at what he says about money. He's very careful in what he says about money. He um, is careful not to um, ask for too much for himself. Um, there are some Christians in Corinth, in this town in Corinth, that really want to get behind him and, and fund him and be their benefactor, be his benefactor. But Paul refuses to take this money. And instead, he sees himself as their benefactor, in fact. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I'm not going to be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I love that. He only wanted them to be benefactors for the poorer church in Jerusalem and specifically about 30 kilometres south in Judea. Also, and in chapter 8 and 9, when Paul talks about giving, he's talking specifically about the fundraising for this poor church. Um, but out of this comes a series of important giving principles. Um, there have been these significant pastoral issues in the Corinthian church that the first letter to Corinthians and the second letter deal with. So he's being extra sensitive about how he talks about this funding. So he doesn't even use the word money, which is interesting. The collection is called grace, modelled on Jesus and the Father. In chapter 9, it's this case or this undertaking or this bountiful gift. In chapter 8, verse 2, which we read, the word is generosity, but he's talking about money all, all the time. In fact, elsewhere in this letter, Paul will use exact same phrases for the giving of money as he, as he does for the ministry of the word, the teaching of the Bible, teaching about, about Jesus. Same phrases, which shows you how important he sees the act of giving for Christians. And what he does is an interesting tactic for teaching is he tries to compare them to another church who's doing really well at this, uh, the Macedonian church. Now, these two cities were close together, Corinth and, Mac and, and Archaea in Macedonia. Um, they were natural ri rivals. 
In the period of the Roman Empire, um, civic pride and rivalry was a big thing. Um, it's kind of like Melbourne and Sydney, you know, the Melbourne and Sydney competition. Some of you know um, the author Mike Frost, who's a Christian author in Sydney, and he, he worked out that, um, that I, I love Melbourne more than Sydney, and I think, you know, I, do, I actually think Melbourne is a better city than Sydney, <laughs> but he always puts on Facebook comments like, this is why Sydney is the best city in Australia, and then he, you know, tags me trying to get a competition going. And I, and I feel bad commenting because, I mean, it's obviously true that Melbourne's a bit better city than Sydney, so I don't want to kind of embarrass it. Anyway, Paul is not trying to drive a wedge between these churches, but he's trying to get a bit of healthy rivalry going to provoke godliness. Um, you know, so it's, he's having a bit of fun. Talking of rival churches, um, St. Hilary's just recently... Um, uh, they started this new social work program called um, St Hilary's Hope and they um, brought together 12 churches in the, in the Shire of Bur- Burundara, in the city of Burundara, who, and they door knocked all these churches and um, they raised about $150,000 worth of food. Wow. Yeah, that was, was to, you know, used to contribute to Anglicare and Salvation Army to feed the poor and CAMCARE. I wonder what we could do to have that kind of impact. Um, it's good to compare ourselves to other churches sometimes and go, wow, that's possible, you know. And don't worry, I'm, I'm not t- telling you you have to do this, but I'm, I'm just wanting to t- test the sincerity of your love for Jesus by comparing it with the earnestness of others, just to quote the passage. So while St Hilary's are a relatively wealthy church, the Macedonian church were different. They were a poor church. And, and Paul's saying, look, these guys are poor. They're a poor church. And actually, but they, they were filled with so much love for Jesus. The spirit overflowed in their heart that they still were able to give beyond what, the, what their capacity was out of their extreme poverty. And this kind of sacrificial generosity pleases God is what he's saying. This is what ultimately God cares about. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. I always thought that was a full-on thing to read. Can you imagine the offertory plate going around church and and Jesus standing at the end of the room? (laughs) You know, watching how much you're putting in. Anyway, I'll keep reading. He's watching people as they put their money in the temple uh, treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. This poor widow is the best example of what we're talking about here, about sacrificial giving. Apart from Jesus' own death on the cross and his own giving of his own life, here is a great example of kingdom of God value. It's measured in a different way. In the kingdom of God, value and, 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 and worth is not measured in amount, but it's in measured in amount of sacrifice. And this is meant to be instruction for the disciples. The widow did what Jesus instructed the rich young ruler to do. Remember, the rich young ruler said, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, um, sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor. And he couldn't do it. 
Well, in a way, this is what this woman is doing, this poor widow. She's giving everything, everything she had. In this story, the poor widow, who was socially insignificant in the eyes of the first century Middle Eastern culture, was the exemplary disciple. She was of high significance in the kingdom of God because to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and, and to follow Jesus involves things like giving up and leaving your career behind, like all your nets, like we saw with the disciples. Jesus calls them, they walk away from their career. It means leaving, leaving behind your father. So there were two disciples who said bye to their dad, Zebedee, and just walked off to follow Jesus. Um, it means handing over your plans and life to, and to deny yourself. In fact, you must hand over everything to follow Jesus. Now, these are all kind of examples. Um, Jesus is not trying to cause division in families as such, but he's trying to say the most important thing in your life is to follow me. And that's what this poor widow is displaying, this sacrificial giving. The first time I ever really understood this concept of the value in the kingdom of God is actually about sacrifice, not about amount, was when I was in my early 20s and I was walking uh, after uni down Elizabeth Street in the city and a, um, a guy who was about 16, 17, who um, came up to me and he said, I've just been kicked out of home by my mum and dad, or by my mum, I think it was, um, and um, we, I, I don't have anywhere to live and I've been sleeping out, out and he pointed into the stairs and just on the top there, and he said, I've been doing that for the last week or so and um, I, I don't have any money to buy a train ticket or, or food. And often when people came up to me in the city and said stuff like that, I'd just sort of say, oh, sorry, mate, and keep walking, or I might give them a few coins if I had that in my pocket. But for some reason this time, um, when this happened, the thought popped into my head, if you're any kind of Christian at all, then you're going to demonstrate that by giving this guy some money, right? I don't know, it just popped into my head. So I was like, oh, I thought I had to respond to that thought. So I... I, I talked to the guy a bit more and, you know, got to know him a little bit just in like five minutes standing there on the footpath in Elizabeth Street. And then I walked to the ATM with him and I withdrew $200 and gave it to him. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not something that I do every day. It just is something that I felt like I had to do then, um, out of being obedient to God actually, and out of serving this guy. Now, I don't know what he did with the money. And I know in our culture, we're quick to say, you know, oh, he probably spent it on drugs, he probably went and bought booze, from, you know, and say comments like that. But for me, this was something that I felt I had to do out of, out of um, obedience to God. And the thing that's most, that, that really impacted me the most was after we talked and we actually ended up having a burger together and I left, I, I felt so much joy in my faith for that whole day. It just overflowed in my heart this sense of joy that I, I, for me it was like God saying, you've done the right thing, you're, you're, li you're living in a way that is the way I want my, my people to live. God didn't care about the exact dollar figure, $200, whatever, but for, for me in my early 20s that was a lot, but he didn't care about that, he cared about the fact that for me it was a sacrifice. So when Paul points to the Macedonian church, he is saying, look at how sacrificial they are. This is amazing. There's a big smile on his face. You've got to imagine that. This poor church, in the midst of a trial, yet they gave so much. The Bible has a lot to say about being unwise with your money and spending it like you don't have it. 
But it also talks about this notion of a tithe in the Old Testament for the Israelites, um, the idea of giving 10%. If you want to find out about the origins of what the tithe is all about, there's actually a sermon on the website that I gave last year on that. I won't talk about it in, in great length now. Uh, it's called um, uh, How Should I Give from June 21st last year. And it's on the bottom of the website on the sermons page, the talks page. The tithe is good, though, I'll just say this, because it is, it is a kind of a guide of, of, of what sacrifice might look like. Um, no matter what we earn, we can aim for that 10%, and if not more. And often people find the idea of giving a 10% a real stretch and can't do it. Instead, they might, they might give 3% or 1%, and they just, they, just, they just find it such a burden. And they, like what Louisa was saying earlier, they, they use excuses like, um, uh, you know, I'm just, I just don't have enough money at the, at the moment, so I, I just won't give anything, I'll give a little bit. Now, most, if not all, people here at Mary Creek should be able to aim for a tithe, I, I would think. Many of you have the capacity to give to the work of the church and to work, the work of the mission that we support about 10% of your income. And, and some of you can give more, I know, and many of you do. And that's exciting. I, I challenge you to go for it. What a blessing you can be on the church and on the poor and on, on those who we support. But remember, the 10% is not really the main point, to get back to this idea. It's not the value, but it's the sacrifice that really matters. It's the sacrifice that's the main point. When you think about giving, the, the, the dominant image or the dominant symbol you should aim, think about is the cross. Right? That's, that's the symbol of giving for, for the Christian. The American um, theologian Jonathan Edwards, um, who's from the 18th century, is a pastor and theologian. He said, when people say they can't afford to give, what they're really saying is they can't afford to give without burdening themselves. Um, like, like what Louise was saying. But the, the Bible says to bear one another's burdens, doesn't it? So Edward says, if you say, I'm not going to help bear your burden without burdening myself, there's a problem. Um, and, and Edward says, the only way you can bear one another's burdens is by burdening yourself. That's how it works. Look at the world out there. Look at all the burdens people have. You need to give until some of the world's burdens are your burdens too. The Macedonian church gave beyond their ability. They were acting a bit like Jesus. What does this mean? That's what Paul says, acting a bit like Jesus. How much were they giving beyond their ability? They were giving beyond their ability to the point that it was a sacrifice for them. And for us, that's what we've got to think about. How much do I need to give until it is a sacrifice? Is it that I give so that I'm impoverished? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Am I supposed to give so much that I'm living on the street myself? I don't think that's what Paul's saying. We need to give to the point where maybe we're cutting into our lifestyle. We need to give to the point where we feel like we're being obedient to God. Some church denominations really fixate on the 10% and say, if you give less than 10%, you're robbing God. But I think this passage shows that that actually is being legalistic and not the point. The point is not to give out of legalism, but to give out of your own heart and generosity and also obedience to God, to give out of a sense of sacrifice. Paul calls it a ministry of grace in verse 7. It's not a ministry of law. 
And that doesn't mean we should take advantage of this grace. It doesn't mean we should keep on sinning and giving not much or nothing at all so that grace may increase, as Paul says somewhere else. The, the dominant emblem has to be the cross. He says in verse 8, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. He's saying the extent to which you sacrifice your own funds in giving to the church and to the poor, and, and especially to the church in Judea, will demonstrate how much you love Jesus. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Wealthy Jesus gave up so much that he became impoverished, so that you could give beyond your means. Now we are like the Corinthians in the sense that the Macedonians were poor and had been suffering, yet they gave, yet the Corinthian church were actually a wealthy church. So we're a bit more like the Corinthian church. And Paul says a warning to them. There's a sense in which they may have had good intentions but not followed through. He says, don't intend to be sacrificial. Be sacrificial. One of the most problem, common, uh, common problems with the spiritual discipline of giving is that it's full of good intent. So people say, yeah, I'm going to get around to doing that and then not follow through on it. You might take a form home from church and stick it on your fridge and it sits there for a month and then eventually when you open the door one day to make your breakfast, it drops off the fridge and slides under and then you forget about it for another year. Paul had some concern for the discipline of the Corinthians with, with regards to this giving project. Look at verse 10 and 11. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. In other words, you've had good intentions. Now finish it. Do it now. Titus has brought a report back about the Corinthian church to Paul and has said some things we don't know exactly what. And maybe Paul's concerned about where their heart is. And so he goes on in verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And then there's this big principle he introduces, which is something that we've got to live by as Christians, and that's the principle of equity. By being sacrificial, they are promoting equity between the churches, financial equity. And this was a sore point for the Corinthians because they could not get this right even in the context of their own congregation. In the first letter of the Corinthians, you can see that they have church services like what we're having in different contexts, but gatherings of Christians to worship God and they have communion services with the table and meals together and they exclude the poor. You know, so they can't even get their equity right in their own congregation. Paul's now doing a kind of a transnational equity. You know, this is like global now, or at least it's down the road, about 100 k's or something. And he's saying, you know, you've got to give to them while you've got money and they don't. Because there might come a day when you don't have money and they do and they can give to you and there, there can be equity. This is promoting justice. Look at verses 13 to 15. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. 
The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. It's interesting, when Jesus spoke about money, he, was, he spoke in hyperbole, exaggeration, and that was a technique of teaching. Very black and white. I'll give you some examples. Um, I mean, I'll start with the John the Baptist quote and then I'll go into Jesus. John the Baptist in Luke 3, verse 11 said, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. That's not too bad. Then look at Jesus, Luke 12, 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Luke 14, 33. Jesus said, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Hyperbole. Luke 18, 22, Jesus said, You still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. He's speaking in this strong way so they get the point. He's hitting them over the head with a teaching mallet, so to speak. But in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is totally different. He's softly, softly, moderately, balancing Jerusalem's great need with a gracious voluntary nature of giving. Jerusalem's financial strife was a crisis for now, but it wouldn't be forever. And the Corinthian church doesn't have to worry that this is going to go on and on and on for years and years and years. In fact, as I said earlier, in verse 14 it says, there'll come a time when you could be in the same scenario. Anyway, this is beside the point. They're in need. This is how kingdom of God equity or equality is supposed to work. And Paul illustrates his point by pointing to a story in the Exodus, verse 18. Uh, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This passage emphasised depending on God rather than hoarding everything for yourself. One theologian, Craig Keener, says it like this. During the brief period in Israel's history when God provided for his people directly, no one had more or less than what they needed, but only the right amount. This economy depicted God's ideal for his people. Now, this is a huge challenge for middle-class people, middle-class Christians, because, you know, we don't like to talk too much about money. And it elevates teaching on how to care for the poor to actually an international level. He's talking about people that are not even in your city. Um, and this is election time, and I'm going to start talking about politics, so don't think... This is, might sound like it's coming out of left field, but it's not. One of the greatest stains on our nation's soul, I think, is the miserly way both, part, both the Liberal, um, you know, the Coalition and also the Labor Party have cut aid and 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 cut over the last um, sort of four or five years, especially in the last three years. Um, we are, according to the, um, uh, the, the um, the World Bank and the United Nations and the International Monetary Fund, we're about 12th or 13th richest country in the world out of 196 countries. We have a GDP of $1.62 trillion and our total worth is $6.4 trillion. And over the past three budgets, we've just cut $11 billion out of foreign aid and then just another $224 million in the last round of budget cuts. And this is one reason why so many of the aid organisations in Australia are collapsing and having cut staff left, left, right and centre. You might have heard about World Vision and the hundreds of staff that have had to go there. And it's all done because the politicians know that middle class Australians will turn a blind eye to it because 
we just think more about ourselves and our own backyard and, and, and not worry too much about other people's suffering and poverty. But it's interesting, like the Corinthians who started off with good intentions, in 2008, in his maiden speech in Parliament, um, Scott Morrison, now our Treasurer, back, back then, who was, um, who was uh, in the opposition, he complimented the Rudd government on increasing foreign aid. He said, we still must go further, he said, in our response to the world's poor. What we must do is pray that our Treasurer will embrace the kingdom principle of equality, he's a Christian, and to finish the work so that his eager willingness to do it may be matched by his completion of it, to quote Paul, according to his means. Which is very great. His means is great. And it's, I know it's not just him, it's the whole government and it's, it's driven by politics. We are the 13th or 12th richest country in the world. Why aren't we giving to the poor like other countries are? We only give 0.22% of our gross national income, Britain's Conservative government gives 0.7%, more than triple in percentage terms. Labor have, have promised to restore 224 million, but that's not gonna really make much difference considering the 12 billion that's gone. And there's other promises that they've made to support the UNHCR. But really, this is, a, this is not just a coalition issue, this is both sides of politics, knowing that there's no votes in aid, now, you, you might be thinking, I'm, I've just come to church this morning, something I'm hearing like, you know, the insiders on ABC or something, you know, some kind of political thing. Why am I talking about this? Because it's an election time and we need to, as Christians, as I said in the email this week, engage our faith with our um, democratic processes. And I'm not going to say who to vote for, that there's one party that's more Christian than another or anything like that. I would never say that. We need to think about what, what drives us. What drives us when, we, when we're in the... In the, in the ballot box? Is it just our own needs, our own, you know, that the politicians will do policies that will help us? Now, there are plenty of Christians protesting these aid cuts. Our Archbishop and church leaders across the nation have voiced their anger and written letters to the Prime Minister and the Treasurer. And the focus of um, my wife Jo and Emma, Emma's work at Tear is largely around this. Um, encouraging churches across Australia to advocate for aid increase. Um, and I want to say, if you feel outraged about this, if you feel outraged by this, this laissez-faire attitude to the poor, a miserly attitude to the poor, then that's good because that's what God thinks too. God is outraged when people, when Christians especially, but when people in general are selfish and miserly towards the poor. 2 Corinthians 8 shows us that in God's kingdom, everyone should look out for each other. The wealthy churches look after the poor churches. And this principle expands out and is applied to different parts of the Bible. It shows that wealthy Christians should help financially struggling Christians. It shows that the church in general should care for the poor. It shows that Christians should demonstrate our love for Jesus by giving our money sacrificially. A tithe is a good guideline that comes from the Old Testament. But if you're reluctant to feel pain in your giving, then you're probably not giving enough. Your giving should go to the work of the church and to the poor, to mission organisations, to whoever you can support. You should be on the lookout for being disorganised yourself. Don't be like the Corinthian church who had all these good intentions and never followed through. 
Don't be like Scott Morrison who says in 2008, oh, this is what we should be doing, and then a few years later is backing off from it. Remember the ultimate symbol for the Christian discipleship practice of giving is the cross. Jesus gave everything for you and show that you believe this by the way you use your money. Let's pray. Well, God, this is, these are big issues. These are hard issues. And uh, they're, they're uncomfortable issues when we talk about money, when we raise the issue of politics as well. As middle class people, we, ooh, we feel nervous. But this is real life. This is what our news talks about every day. This is what people talk about at work. Funds, money, how much they earn, what they spend it on. We pray that as Christians, we will live out the challenges that Paul presented to the Corinthian church. Amen.